live and recording. So yeah, um, hello and welcome everybody back to our third episode of um, the DevOps Speakeasy podcast. Um, so, yeah. oh, I need to mute myself on YouTube. Yeah, uh, and uh, today um, with great pleasure, I want to announce our new guest, uh, Sasha Rosenbaum, a product in uh, GitHub. And Hi. with me, my co-host, a uh, Cat Cosgrove developer advocate at JFrog. And uh, I am Baruch, head of DevOps advocacy at JFrog as well. And uh, today we're going to talk about, well, we'll figure it out. So, <laughs> um, Sasha, welcome to the podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so, um me and Baruch actually share three languages. This is interesting, right? Um, because we speak Russian, Hebrew, and English, obviously. Um, so it's an interesting journey that I've been on. Um, but more on the professional side. So I work for GitHub now. Um, I used to work for Microsoft just about a few weeks ago. Um, so I kind of may say we interchangeably about both of them because um, that happens. Because um, GitHub is also now a subsidiary to Microsoft, so that's part of the reason this is happening. Um, and I do work for engineering um, at GitHub, but it's more on the DevRel type of side than um, you know leading the product definition. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been a. I started my career as a developer, and I've been in sort of ops also for a couple years. And now I mostly talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that makes that makes three of us mostly talk to people. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kat is still insisting writing code, which is good for her. Look, I love it. I love it, and I don't feel like I can uh, me personally. I don't think this applies to everybody in DevRel. I don't feel like I can uh, like accurately and authentically advocate for something if I've never actually used it. And uh, also, I do genuinely enjoy writing code. Yeah, Sorry. no, I think that. I meant it more like a like a joke. Obviously, you should do it. Everybody should do it. We should do it as well, and yeah, we try as possible. Because... Not everybody loves it. But but I also will say like there's a different level. Like I code, obviously. Like I write stuff, but it, you know, it's it's there's a different level between like giving a demo on something and like running it in production, right? Um, yeah, so. Yeah, I, I totally agree that, like, you have to play with the thing to be able to, like, speak about it um, and teach people about it. But also, I know that some of my experiences with, like, writing, writing stuff in production are a very different level of engagement, right, than what I do now. Yeah, I don't, I would not want to go back to writing production code, I think. <laughs> I'm, uh, I don't, that's too, that's a lot of stress. Uh in this position, you can kind of just like YOLO a demo, just like yeet it out into space. And yep. that's, uh, that's way more fun. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I have, you know, I have the uh, the rights to push to production, but I just would never do it because I'm afraid of breaking something. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. So... Um... And and you you've been with GitHub like you you've been you moved to GitHub not not so long ago right if I yep. remember correctly yeah just like literally a few weeks I can't even tell how long it's been um yeah so it it's a very new thing um and I'm sort of still figuring this out right in terms of um 
because if you know, like our product, Azure DevOps is a product I was working on before. Um, and so we're sort of like merging engineering teams between the two. And so we're, we're figuring out the roadmap. We're figuring out what we're going to do. Uh, it's been a very interesting journey. Yeah, so regarding that, I really wanted to ask because from from what we see from the outside, there is a lot of overlaps what Azure DevOps does and what GitHub does. Uh, how how that is working out? We'll get to um, integrations and competition with with other uh, products and tools probably probably soon. But first, I really wanted to ask how your internal competition is 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 handling. Yeah, so and that's the biggest reason that we're sort of merging the, the teams and starting to work all together because like we did not want to create that internal competition and that just didn't seem like, you know, the right decision. Um, I will say like every time I speak about it publicly, I still like and we've been talking about it for six months and I'm still like feeling like, oh, my God, I'm going to say something that's just like going to, you know, go terribly wrong. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in in the space of being politically correct, um we we are like GitHub is the future, right? The, this is what's going to happen 100%. Um, but like we're still supporting Azure DevOps. More than that, we're still investing in Azure DevOps because GitHub is not going to immediately work for everybody, right? We we have things that like our features and Azure DevOps that GitHub is pretty far from implementing. Um, so for a few years, there's going to be two products for sure. But if you want to do like get new and cool stuff, you definitely want to go on the GitHub side. I mean, the GitHub side also seems more like more geared towards using cool new technologies in like personal projects and in free open source projects that are maybe like a little bit more, they, they have no money and it's just some people that are passionate about making this thing work. It seems like. GitHub aims for that demographic more than like Azure DevOps would. So it's an interesting thing where like your customers drive you. So at Microsoft, very much like the enterprise customers drove their requirements for that for for Azure DevOps, whereas in GitHub, we kind of have both. So I would agree with you that there's, you know, the huge open source community on GitHub, but there's also lots of enterprise features, which people are maybe like less familiar with, but you can definitely see like some of the things that we're missing compared to Azure DevOps is the enterprise stuff, right? And like, you know, things like data sovereignty and stuff like that, that just, we didn't like GitHub didn't have to deal with that before. Um, so yeah, it, it it's like an interesting thing, but so the exciting part about it is that at GitHub, we now have like the ability to address some of the things that we never would have been able to do in Azure DevOps. So like, as a, for instance, like the fact that we have the largely like open sources, like projects that are based on GitHub gives us a wealth of data in terms of implementing security features that we would never be able to do in Azure DevOps. Oh, that's cool. I didn't think of it from a farming it for security concerns perspective. That's yeah. neat. I do, I do think it's an inter it was an interesting acquisition for Microsoft. Uh, maybe gave them a little bit of a much needed cool factor, kind of. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which feels weird to say, but you know, when I was, when I was growing up, Microsoft was very much not cool. They were very like, very stiff and uh, they're making like an active effort to change that and be more human, I guess. 
it's it's a very interesting journey because like obviously i wasn't in microsoft um you know for like i was in microsoft for four years before i joined github but i was in microsoft ecosystem for about five years before that so like i was in sort of that um pool of people and technologies um but it's an interesting journey that Microsoft went on from like open source is the cancer, you know, and yeah. we, we will shut down on Linux in the world and stuff like that to where like we, we sell Linux to people. Yeah. It's kind of Embrace insane. It. And we're like one of the largest contributors to open source. And, and there's so much. So actually part of the reason that Microsoft uh, acquired GitHub is that we actually wanted to like contribute to the world, like like because GitHub was, um, you know, needed some financial backing, um, you know, that that they probably wouldn't be able to have without an acquisition, and so that was part of it. Like, and also like um, Microsoft Docs is the like I think the largest or one of the largest open source repositories on GitHub. It's kind of an interesting thing, oh. right? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we open source the docs. So now like if you see something wrong in the docs, you can go submit a PR on it um, and like contribute to Microsoft docs. And obviously most of the contributions are from Microsoft people, but we do have definitely community contributions there. Um, and so it, it just was like a, like a slow mind shift to where we realized that open source was, was a thing and that we had to be part of it to be successful. It's been like a whole societal switch too, because uh, like my my dad is an engineer. He's uh, sixty five or so, and he thought open source was like absolutely. He even like extending as far as Pandora free radio, <laughs> it's just like evil. Until like I don't know, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and he decided that it's just the coolest king thing in the world. <laughs> so. so so the yeah. sorry, um, I the the thing about this is like so a lot of people have security concerns when going with open source and like it right. is actually justified, which is why I'm saying like um, GitHub is now looking into ways to secure your code, but the like secure your code, secure your assemblies that come into your projects and stuff like that. Um, because there's definitely an issue, right? People have been pushing like malicious stuff into public repos and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, a couple of times with npm pretty famously right and and so. it's sometimes it's really really hard to catch because open source maintainers only have so much time and like someone's doing like you know contribute a backdoor and whatever and like even a little bit of contribution can take out like there was um can't remember what it was but one of the npm um assemblies that took out like half the internet and it was like a tiny tiny dependency that people had right but yeah. it, like literally like that going away took out half the internet. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and imagine if MBM went out. Yeah. Um, so, so like, where was it going with this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Like in terms of like the security stuff, the, the big mind shift that happened is like, if you look at the numbers and we're actually like, it's in our like roadmap decks, like 99% of software now depends on open source. Right. Yep. And 90% of your code, that's insane. Like 90% of your code is actually not coming from you. So you're only write 10% of your code and everything else is coming from NPM, NuGet, whatever it is, right? And so once you see that, like you, you just have to adapt to it in different ways. Instead of saying like, I'm not gonna take this code, you have to say like, how do I take this code securely? Uh, you mentioned NPM, obviously we'll get back to the news of NPM acquisition yeah. because I think that's very 
very interesting and very very hot potato you voluntarily got into your hands. Uh, we'll we'll get to it in a second, but still on the positioning of your of your offerings between Azure DevOps and and GitHub, um, I find it a little bit surprising what you said that everything is goes GitHub. Um, not be, it's not that I think it's a bad idea. I'm just I'm just surprised because um, I. W- Azure as as a cloud solution is obviously very very strong contender to the market leader to a to AWS and if I remember correctly it grows faster than any other uh, cloud provider and uh, I think that Microsoft uh, does great great things with with Azure we are SJ Frog um, very active on uh, on Azure both as uh, the SaaS that we suggest but and provide but also in the marketplace so we see how Microsoft does things with Azure and I think uh, that there are, there are very very good um, good things happen here so I'm kind of um, surprised that you take a very very important part of the cloud um, offering which is um, the the artifacts management and the and the ci and and the security and kind of take it away from this azure um uh, branding or if you wish like a marketing umbrella and and take it into github i understand the cool factor of github but i think that azure tries to be that cool thing and and it's kind of sounds a little bit surprising to me so, so what is surprising about this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, cause if we did like had two CI CD products, like uh, then essentially we have to support sort of internal competition, right? Which, which is usually not the best idea. Um, but so, so what, what part of it, like we're still going to support Azure with GitHub, you know, in the long run, because um, I also have to caveat with like, and they, you know, I have to obviously put numbers to it. It's like, there's at least five years of Azure DevOps being around, right? So like, because when I don't put numbers to it, people think it's much less, but like we are, you know, talking about supporting the product for a long time, right? But we are going, investing in GitHub as a main sort of direction. Yeah, no, I I, I get that. And obviously internal internal competition is not, is definitely not the way to go. Well, what I thought if if I had to, like put all those offerings in one or the other, I would actually say Azure because, you know, it's, it's, it's the entire cloud uh, ecosystem. It's like where you run this co- your code, but also when you build this code, when you uh, manage the artifacts, when you build a platform and everything. A little bit like JFrog, right? So we have, we have this entire... Um, entire solution, everything from source code all the way to the runtime to Kubernetes, if you if you like, or you know Kubernetes on Azure if you like it even more. <laughs> uh, but but still, it's like it's all one JFrog, it's all one one platform, and um, so I, it's it's not you know that I'm complaining or or anything. It's just I I feel you expect a first bit... party solution. I, I feel I feel bad for Azure because their cool stuff is going on there, and I want Azure DevOps to be to be uh, you know very um, very attractive and and very powerful, and yeah. you kind of take it a little bit from Azure that I personally kind of feel for. So so there's yeah there, there's a big 
interesting thing here, which like you kind of got onto, which is we have to make decisions differently in GitHub than we do in Azure DevOps. Because so Azure DevOps was always an extensible platform, right? And you can always push to AWS and whatever, like from Azure DevOps. But most people, let's admit that, weren't using it for that, right? Whereas if we implement CI/CD in GitHub, we have to support like all three major clouds and whatnot else, you know, is mm. out there. Right. Sure. So we, we have to, and, and we can't even, how do I say that? Like, like if you look at GitHub universe from, um, I don't know, whatever, four months ago, whenever it was, um, and we had an AWS demo CICD on stage, not Azure. And then there's a reason that we do that, right? Because we, we can't put Azure on stage because then it's like, oh, it's a first party, you know, Microsoft solution with GitHub and you can't like, so we have to, make sure that we remain neutral in that sense. And that means that like, we're no longer like a first party, you know, only supporting our own cloud and stuff like that. But it was something that, that, go ahead. I I hear that. Yeah. Like when the, when the acquisition was first announced, at least a bunch of my friends were like super, super concerned that moving forward, GitHub would only allow integrations with other Microsoft products. It would be like Azure integrations only and uh i think if yeah if if you came out the gate marketing only stuff with azure even if it still worked with aws and google cloud people would riot i think yeah and but so i think this came out and like i don't know you know how much of that we want to say publicly but I think this came out of... Oh, it's only like, three of us here. No, no, no. It's a new podcast. No one listens. That's what you're no, no. So it, again, like this is like PR things. And this is like, to me, is a little bit conflicting. But um, I think th- this came from like Satya and the leadership team at one point where, where they were like, we can, as Microsoft, we can just have like developer solutions. Like we don't have to push everything into Azure cloud. Like we can, like VS code is obviously like free for everyone. And like, you know, folks are using it to build whatever. And it's like, I think now most popular editor, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at the numbers uh, recently, but it like, we can just do this sort of contribution for everyone. And we can like, we have the money to invest in the community, right? Um, and why not, right? Is it, it's like doing the right thing for everybody. And obviously there's an upside in this for Microsoft, like you said, the cool factor, right? We, we did not have that. And for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, maybe Microsoft was considered this old, you know, enterprise facing machine, right? So. It seems less old enterprise facing machine these days though. It there's, it's very interesting to me because I always thought that like CEOs are overrated, and I thought that before like until like such took over Microsoft and like you you can see one hundred percent that one person can change direction on like a freaking huge company. Yeah, I think yeah, that's that's proven by now that he did he did the right thing on so many levels and it changed so so much. Yep. Yep. Our CEO is super cool, so. Yeah, and I hope we won't see changes. We, we like our direction now, so. Yeah, yeah, fine. he can stay. He can stay. He can stay. I've never <laughs> met your CEO, so I, I don't know, but. Well, Swamp Up is 
will happen in some form or shape in this time or another. And then obviously uh, we will make sure to introduce you. Yeah. It, it's funny because I will say like, um, I met Sajra, like I shook Sajra's hand one, once and it was completely by accident. And it was funny because like people are asking me like, how, like what, like what was your elevator pitch? And I'm like, nice to meet you. <laughs> and that's not, like, how much time you get. So yeah. They're still people. They're not gods, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't but, like, know. He was at a conference, and so like obviously he has like a security detail and whatever because like, you have to, and, and so like yeah, like in the space of ten seconds, like, <laughs> what you can say. Yeah, now ours is still a little bit more approachable, but we grow fast. Go figure what will happen. <laughs> Um, I, I, I when I first joined Microsoft, I was like, I'm gonna meet him like in person and you know have a dinner with him and whatever. So far, it didn't happen. So I don't know. Maybe he'll <laughs> listen to this podcast and then like it will. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When, yeah, I, yeah. when I when I mentioned we have no listeners, is only <laughs> he's the only one. There is no one else. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? I really, I really love the what you mentioned about GitHub being less uh, Azure and less Microsoft for, for for that means, and more more intera- more integrations, more open and everything. Because um, um, I think we have, as JFrog and GitHub, uh, have a good history of um, um, good shared story and integrations and people working with both both of them together and i think we can brainstorm after the podcast uh, how we can um, tell the stories about um, those integrations more uh, because and you know we we obviously have some um, um, conflicting and uh, i would say um, you know uh, we, we competing competing solutions both the packages <laughs> and and the actions but i think in the end of the day if we can show people how can they benefit from the best um, composition of those services it it's going to be beneficial for for all of us um i think that's more or less what we plan for for swamp up as well um showing some pieces of github with some pieces of jfrog working together and and eventually running in Azure or any other cloud. Yeah, it it's interesting because in some ways GitHub is like a, like very well positioned for integrations, but in some ways we actually had more extensibility in Azure DevOps than we do in GitHub. It's like it's a very interesting thing because we allowed people to build custom extensions and share them in whatever level of sharing they wanted and stuff. And some of this is kind of impossible with GitHub, so we're we're looking into like. Uh, making it more accessible but on the other hand like if you look at actions like anybody can build an action and like that is completely open source as opposed to like you know us building all of this stuff so yeah yeah and uh, actions actions are are i think pretty cool in the in in the way that they are very easy to to start with and I think so. We have CI/CD for for what for for ten years, more than ten years, right? Uh, back in the, in in the late um, sorry, uh, twenty years back in the um, in the in the late nineties, 
And uh, um, you I don't expect- know about 20 years. So we just like I did the delivery conf um, yeah. in Seattle um, in January. And that was the 10 years of the continuous delivery book. So it was the first time anybody came coined the term like I'm, no, not- no, I'm talking about continuous integration. I'm talking about the build server. Right. And, and the build servers are, are with us for for more than 20 years. And by now, you would expect people to, everybody to have a CI in some level, at least. And we, all three of us know that that's not, that's not the case, unfortunately. Yeah, not everyone has source control. So like, sometimes when people talk that's about how- It's terrifying. <laughs> well, it, and it, it's, it's really interesting to me because sometimes people from like large companies forget that like the world looks different out there and they're like, oh, this is table stakes. Like, no, it's not. Like there's a lot of people out there who are doing, you know, planning in Excel spreadsheets and, and like no source control and copying things to production, like <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's, that's my point. And, and I think that, well, while, um, you know, not having source control is, is, is really, I think, the, the exception by now, thanks to GitHub, among other things that made it very, very approachable. And the, the CI part was more, more of a challenge, uh, uh, although a small one, but still for, for a lot of people like, oh, I need to spin up Jenkins now. And then it was like, oh, I don't want to do it. Um, so, and, and what I hope GitHub Action will become for CI is what GitHub became for, for source control. Something no-brainer, non-trivial. You have your source in GitHub. It's built it's build on, on GitHub Actions. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope this is what's going to happen. We we actually see a crazy, like, so this is a new product, obviously, and we see a crazy ramp up on in terms of the usage. It's yeah, no, I guess everybody everybody are interested in trying it at least, right? I think uh, we, we are not exception. You, you tried GitHub Actions. Yeah. yeah. It's easier to I use like now. GitHub Actions. One. Everybody yeah. tried GitHub Actions. Yeah. yeah. V1 was kind of uh, kind of rough. I tried Actions V1 and uh, like it was it was usable, but it wasn't easier than like what I already used in uh, like my dumb home projects. But V2 and using just just using YAML instead, yeah, way and easier. And it's like we we're so there's a couple of things that you know at top of mind of, for people, and we're kind of working through fixing them. But like once we get to a certain level, I think it's going to be very very accessible for folks. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the most important thing, right? But in the, in terms of interactive actions, we can uh, talk about uh, you know like more complicated features of pipelines of pipelines and using the metadata from your your artifacts and all that. And there are good solutions for that. Obviously, Jeffrey pipelines is one of them. Uh, but for for getting started, for having your code built like right now for a super fast. Uh, feedback where where the source code is i think this is um this is just great and this is where i personally wish github actions all the luck and and actually being a natural extension to to the source control especially ci right ci should be relatively easy as compared to like cd like um and even like i am honestly like you can be particular about continuous deployment continuous delivery whatever like i think some type of release control is is a really good thing to have um and even if like in my opinion like even if you have like a basic pipeline and you have to still like approve manually and like push through the steps and whatever it's still going to save you a lot of time and and trouble of like doing manual checklists and things like that 
Um, but again, wherever you are in that journey and CI should like really become really accessible to everyone, like running tests and running the builds, um, making sure that it works, you know? Yeah, no, I think we're, we're on the, on the same page here. Absolutely. Um, Time to talk about the elephant in the room, like really, really fat, fat and dirty elephant in the room. Okay. <laughs> so why would anyone in their clear mind want to take over this steaming pile <clears throat> that is called the NPM registry? Um, well, I can, so th this is me, Sasha speaking and not, you know, GitHub speaking, I have to say. But honestly, I think the biggest reason we did it is because they needed money. Like, I think in it, it sort of, in my mind, sort of resembles like why Microsoft acquired GitHub also, but NPM was in much bigger financial trouble, I think. And realistically, like their, their private offerings were just nowhere near like being able to support them. And so like living off donations or whatever, like was also not like they are running the internet right and this is a free project that's running the internet you need to have um some type of financial backing where like you have other products like that like get the in-stream of money to be able to support that that's fair. okay i i, I get it i mean that's 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 noble and and i think we we have huge respect for for companies that do that my question is you didn't back them up and gave them money you actually took over so the question is now what now yeah. you have this you you have it and people are i don't know if there is another um repository that people kind of dislike more than github uh, than npm than npm js uh, in terms of like everything starting from left pad and and all the way it's just you know it's 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 a lot to digest in terms of an organization and and you know, I don't hate npm it's just uh you know it's got problems but it's kind of it's lovable in its core is it yeah so essential though like imagine like we were just talking about this right that like one little package going away from npm took down like so many websites imagine yeah. npm going away right like you your websites every single one of them depends on npm being up and running like at every single second right and so in supporting that scale is insane so they may have problems but I mean, they're doing a free service for everyone and it's, it was part of their ideology that it will always be free and all things like that, right? So, and I, I don't want to like, I obviously don't want to say like this is like charity or something like that, but just like, I honestly think that was probably the biggest driver. Um, but obviously we, to be, uh, you know, uh, competition and stuff, like we, we have a packages product now. And so that will definitely be part of it. Um, you know, and I, I don't know exactly what the roadmap is going to look like, but it's going to also allow us to, again, the security features we're talking about, like it's going to allow us to secure the, the sources a little bit more for the NPM and stuff like that, right? So there's a lot of benefits potentially that we can have out of, you know, owning <laughs> the repository. Yep. 
Yeah, and a lot of benefits as well. Yeah, but also also a lot of, a lot of work on on cleaning it up. And um, again, we as JFrog, we we've been through through all that. Obviously, with with Bintray and and J Center, and uh, uh, I think that I'm the first person to admit that this is extremely hard to get right um, after what it was like six years of managing artifacts and and uh, hoping that we understand how the things worked we got into this uh, uh, market wish of of public repositories and registries and discovered a completely new set of challenges um, which mostly are in the area of how do you control um, availability versus not becoming just you know a dump of every hello world test project in the world um, and also, obviously, the, the the point about security ownership, how are you still approachable and people can submit and control their packages versus how you prevent um, men and middle attack on the supply chain. So it's um, there are different approaches. Uh, there is an, uh, Maven Central as as one of the examples. There is NPMJS as almost the opposite. Um, there is JSender that we and and other GoSender and uh, that we try to kind of find a middle way. It's it's definitely not not an easy uh, domain. And if someone thinks that all we need in order to maintain uh, NPM registry is a bunch of um, computers with storage and bandwidth. This is definitely not um, um, not the situation. So again, my b- b- my best wishes of luck for, for GitHub in trying to to figure that out and deciding what is the right right path to go. Because as I mentioned, as it works now, obviously there are some uh, advantages. It's very accessible. But also comes with with the price that needs to be evaluated. So it's interesting. Like I actually don't know, you know, your part of the story. So I would, like if there's blogs on this, like uh, you know how you discovered all the problems. I, that would be super interesting for me to look at. Um, uh, but I think so. The the problems that you mentioned, I think it's it's a problem with every platform, right? Whenever you run a platform, you always have to worry about like how how accessible it is versus how like security or whatever other issues you might have um, with people pushing like stray stuff into your platform, um, right? I'd work in so I, Microsoft is really good at running platforms. GitHub is also a platform, but again, like slightly in a different space, but still, I think, you know, between our engineering resources, I think we are, we, we can do this, uh, but I won't pretend that like, it's going to be an easy journey. Right. And also it's, it's an issue one because there's like, I feel like more chances of going wrong than going right. You know what I mean? Like people don't sort of remember that, you know, we're we're doing something good for the community like that don't always right there's much more chances for like negative publicity around some of these things oh for sure for sure for sure this is again something that we uh, we can relate to um, the ratio of praises versus um, you know hate is definitely not for the praises even even if we try to do the right thing and we think we're doing the right thing um regarding your question i will post some um 
uh, entries to blog posts and, and what's not in the show notes, uh, both on Podbean and on YouTube after after we are done. So you'll be able to go and, and check it out. Um, it's basically an interesting story about, and if you wish, I mean, it's a podcast. We have time, so I can go into into a little celebrity uh, here. So, I, um, like, if you want to go into it, like that, that's interesting to me because yeah, like, no, absolutely. I, I hope it's going on a tirade. So, yeah, and I hope it's interesting not only to you, <laughs> <laughs> but as I mentioned, no one else is here, so why not? <laughs> uh, so basically, yeah, as 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 we spoke when we when we are creating a public registry, you obviously want as many artifacts there as possible because this is how you know people benefit from third party uh, dependencies you mentioned 90 percent of the code is are those dependencies so that makes makes sense to make it as as much accessible as possible but on the other way if all you need to do to push to npm registry uh, is register there and then next thing you know you start uploading packages you can just for the fun of it do a search for the keyword like for hello world in npm registry and you will f- obviously find tons of packages that people actually submit their hello world as packages to npm registry which is obviously junk because it's not a usable dependency for anyone else um, and uh, so this is kind of one extreme and it's like the, the bazaar if you wish there is like open approach everybody can put whatever they like there and and obviously it makes it kind of messy uh, the other extreme I would say um, is, is something what um, Sonotype does with Maven Central and this is like a strict um, gateway or, or, or strict policy of getting in and it means that you have, you obviously have requirements of what good package looks like. You have to have this and this and that. You have to sign your um, your artifacts with uh, uh, with a key, and then you submit a Jira request, and they review if this package is, if you wish, worthy of Maven Central. And by and it wasn't like a negative. It actually means that they it's check like if it's Google Play versus Apple App Store, right? I mean, yeah, like... a little bit, a little bit. Although Google Play also also checks a lot, but but obviously it's easier, right? And and this obviously is a big um, is a big obstacle for people getting getting on board, uh, and also because of this manual process, it's 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 available um, later, and there is all those all those sounds uh, downsides, and and um, we really looked at those two huge extremes when we um, try to come up with with a good solution for for our. Um, central repository back then, the J Center, and we thought, what can be a good combination between the two that will promise accessibility from one side, but also will somehow, to some extent, guarantee some kind of quality on the other side, on the on the output. And and the, what we came up with was a combination of a private space, if you wish, that you can. It's it's also publicly available, but it's your space. Um, in which you can just do whatever you like. Your hello world is welcome there. But then kind of a graduation 
to a, a, a certified uh, central repository that we are um, on the gate of it. And if you want of your of all that you have in your public on your private space, you want something to be uh, in accessible by um, anybody and in one centralized URL of the J Center, then we will take a look at it and we will do our best to verify your identity. And that will be um, as of today. Just uh, relying on your public identity so uh, uh, we will know that and is that something like a human is processing that acceptance uh, so it's 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 a combination of automatic verification and human process um, automatic verification to whatever we can do so for example um, if you are um, logged in to Bintray with your uh, github account uh, then we are pretty sure that the sources that you are trying to publish Sorry, the artifact that you are trying to publish with your GitHub um, URL as the package name um, are actually yours. But mm -hmm. if you are logged in with your private Gmail and you try to publish artifacts um, with com.microsoft as, um, as, as your package, we will come to you and we will ask you to prove that you have the permissions to actually do that. Right, and then and then we will establish some kind of you know you, you will prove us that you are actually in charge of package of publishing packages for com.microsoft or whatever makes sense. So um, it's an interesting thing because I, I think it also like depends on the size of your platform because at certain scales like some things become easier and some things become harder, right? So like having human verification at the size of npm is impossible. But then on the other hand, like I think there's less of a chance of like people like you know not like because when you just starting out people will just like if the platform is not accessible people will stop pushing to it whereas like at a large size you probably don't have that problem although there's always like a, a chance of a mass exodus from your platform which is probably the worst thing like, you know you can possibly have so definitely not an easy problom to solve I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. doing a lot with a little yeah. I think so. It's, it's commendable. There, there are problems with it, but I think it's, it's commendable what they've done with uh, no real money and not a lot of resources. Yeah. Also, like, I have to say, like, the acquisition still hasn't gone through. Like, obviously, it also has to first happen. So. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we are not concerned with facts in this podcast. <laughs> I mean, speculations are good enough. Yeah, I, I mean, have, it's been announced. It, as long as everything works out fine, like obviously it will go through, but it hasn't legally finished. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and and we can think about a couple of more central repositories to registries with with problems. So we'll see if you are continuing with this thread of buying everything that needs money. <laughs> that would be interesting. Without naming any names, I think you can you can guess uh, who I'm looking at. Not elephant, another animal, still. Um, I'm not uh, privy to all of these decisions, so I don't know. Yep, yeah, no, I think you're personally making those decisions. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Sometimes <laughs> they actually ask me for my opinion. I don't know. But... Oh, here you go. You see, you see, told you. Um, anything else we wanted to talk about before we're switching gears to talk about the stuff that probably not interesting for most of our five listeners. And then it will devrail during siege. Um, um, okay, go ahead. 
Oh no, just the, the, the social isolation. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I wonder if we didn't cover anything else before we go into that, because that will be I think we're good. Interesting topic for three of us for sure. I'm not sure for anyone else. I actually think like this is interesting for a lot of folks and, and like we don't have to like talk about DevRel specifically, right? But just kind of how do you survive in this situation and what's happening and you know. All Let's do that. On the subject of DevRel in this, uh, you know, obviously most of us, our, our job is to talk to people. It's like to be like the public face of a, of a company or a product or an idea or a movement or whatever. And um, we're all now producing a ton of digital content, usually like recordings or podcasts like this to make up for the fact that we can't go to conferences anymore. Uh, our hairstylists and barbers and nail techs and our eyebrow ladies are all closed. And we're all going to start looking real rough in like a month. Baruch's okay because he just shaves his head. I thought about it actually last night. My barber that does the beard is probably closed. And I'm like, yeah. okay, that will get ugly very, very soon. Yeah. Like I, I shave my head myself and I have, uh, and I do, I dye my own hair. I have enough bleach to do my roots one more time. So I got to, if this isn't over in like three months, I'm going to start looking pretty haggard. I, I think, you know, <sighs> let this be the worst of our problems honestly because yeah like i am right now thinking about like how privileged we really are to be where we are and oh for sure despite despite the whole thing with like you know we yes our job is to talk to people but apparently we can still talk to people when this is you know shutting down and some people can't, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure um, and folks who support events who don't have that luxury. Um, yeah. And just to mention like small businesses and, and like people who work in, in services for some of this thing, these things that have been shut down. Like if my hair can't get, you know, colored, then, you know, I'm, I'm just going to have gray I'm hair. Gonna- Whatever. It helps my husband's business. So, like, my, my husband runs his own fencing club here in Seattle, and it shut his club down. So, it, it was I get it. It sucks. So, we, at, at Microsoft, we have this, like, money that goes towards your, like, stay fit, right? And yeah. and so, it was interesting because, like, I spent it, um, like, to, on renewing my gym membership. And I'm like, I should have bought a treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but it's all, you're, you're 100% right. We are, we're complaining about completely, you know, pity stuff. People, millions of people are going, I don't know if, hundreds of millions or tens of millions of people are going to find themselves out of job very, very soon. And our problems are definitely not something worth even mentioning in this, in this regard. Uh, well, I will, I will say like, we're not immune to this, like as much as like, so if, if I think about like Microsoft and GitHub, like, like, yeah, we're probably not going to be impacted by this crisis in an immediate fashion, but the ripple effect is going to get us right. Because like, you know, Marriott's been like, that's my example this week, like Marriott's been shutting everything down and they don't have money. And that means that they don't have money probably to pay their bills. And so, you know, we're not going to get any money from them. And that's like, that's just a tiny piece, right? But like so many people are going to go bankrupt now. Um, It's going to get us eventually. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I understand that we all work computers remote and everything, but if eventually we do stuff for, 
other companies and those companies mm-hmm. are not making any money because they got bankrupt or just cut so to like the the, the minimum uh, operational uh, expenses then obviously we you know we, we our companies are going to suffer and eventually and eventually we are uh, shrinking 40% of the economy won't uh, you know won't leave leave anyone immune that's that's for sure uh but okay that was that was really really gloom um, okay i will i will do something so i've been so i'm i'm still like getting microsoft email uh my my microsoft email still works which has been a blessing and a curse but anyway <laughs> because i get now emails from two business emails um but anyway, like I've been like the Microsoft response has just been phenomenal because like that we're still paying vendors uh, for all of the stuff and now they're shipping. Um, the, so the cafeteria is obviously shut down, but now instead of doing the cafeterias, they're shipping that food to local kids in need and stuff like oh. that. Like it's just like kind of making me proud of this company, like and, and the level of like community service that uh, like Microsoft is trying to do is just I don't know makes me sentimental. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for for a good reason. This is uh, we we all hear about Microsoft that's in the community, and you really have all the reasons to be proud. Um, let's get from the gloomy micro level to the to our PT complaints. Uh, sorry, yeah, micro level to our PT complaints. Micro level. What 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 is going on with us? How how are we manage? Some tips for folks maybe working from home in the rail or or not in the rail. So I I think it was sad to me how many people publish their how to work from home type of content and so like at one point someone on my team said like should we publish this and I can maybe not because <laughs> it's just getting... everybody and their mother has written a how to work from home guide it, and they're it, all different. Yes. And it's really interesting because I've been working. So at Microsoft, I was working from home for like a couple of years. It was primarily working from home. Right. And then like a couple of years, it was like half traveling, half working from home. And so um, it's interesting because I gleaned some things from these blogs that I haven't been doing before. So I'm like, okay, that's that's teaching an old dog. It was useful, you see. So maybe we should talk about it more. I don't know. Um. But yeah, it's so we have switched over to doing virtual content, obviously. And it's actually interesting to me how fast we did it. Um, So we ran the Microsoft MVP Summit last week. So basically on a two-week notice, we went from an actual conference into a virtual conference. Um, It's just like mind-blowing how we can make the infrastructure work. Um, And it's been an interesting experience. But I'm thinking like it wasn't like representative of what's to come because like everybody hates webinars, right? And so there's a different, it, it's interesting because I've been thinking about this. There's a big difference between a webinar and a, like a customer call, right? Because like when you, and the biggest difference there is, is that on a customer call, you get an interaction, right? You, you actually get to talk to people and they ask you questions and it doesn't matter that it's virtual because you're still getting feedback. But webinars, you sort of talk into a wall, right? And you get nothing and you don't know. There may be 30,000 people there or there may be two and maybe those are multitasking and not listening to you. So I don't know what the solution quite is because what I think personally is that you couldn't really get this level of interaction unless you really know who your audience is. 
right? Because the reason that um, conference sessions are not interactive is not just that there's 300 people in the audience, but also that if I were to take questions, this could lead me completely off track for what I'm actually talking about, right? Which is fine for a customer call, but not really for a conference. Well, in, in the customer call, you know who you're talking to, right? So you know it's developers or it's ops people or it's administrative people or it's like, I don't know, Salesforce, whatever, right? So you know like who you're talking to and you know where you want to take this. Whereas like in a conference, like let's say I'm talking about like, I don't know, CICD for ML and people can ask me questions about ML, about CICD, what is DevOps? Like, you know, stuff like that. That's like, okay, th- this was not where I was going with this, right? So I, I don't know. Do you all have any ideas? on how to make webinars suck less, I guess. Yeah, you know, I'll get back to you on that. I'm <laughs> trying to do like a, a, a virtual meetup on uh, April 9th. And the plan is that it's going to be, because it's a virtual meetup, we're shooting for something very casual. And basically the way we're planning on handling it now is we have a panel of like three or four speakers with one moderator me and uh they'll be the only ones able to actually speak on stream uh but i I guess i will be like actively monitoring the qa box or the chat box on zoom and if something comes up that people think is interesting we spin up a breakout room move the discussion over there for that particular thing i don't i'm gonna fly by the seat of my pants and just see what the crowd likes and I'll let you know how that goes. So I will jump in. So there's a conference, virtual conference this Friday. Um, it's called DevOps. And it's like, you know, a technical oh, female speakers. That, yes, you're the reason I'm speaking there. Actually, I forgot about that. <laughs> Barf. Um, so yeah, Barf made an intro between me and Sveta. Um, so anyhow, but so what they're doing differently is actually they're pre-recording the sessions and then they're yeah. having speakers like answer questions during Q&A. So I'm really curious about, like this sounds like such a great idea because like as a speaker, you usually can't like really pay attention to the chat. So maybe there's like two of me, like it's, it's like cloning myself essentially, right? right? So I, I like, if anyone wants to come to that conference, again, it's devops.org um, and the tickets are super cheap and accessible. So, you know, if you have time on Friday, you can show up and listen to some sessions. I want to see how it goes. I think, you know, the the virtual conference I had last week, like the, the interesting part was like, we had an audience that's actively engaged, right? They, they really care about this content. They really care about this roadmap. They really care about like talking to us about the future. And so like no one like is signing off or multitasking, right? Whereas at a normal event, you know, you, you could get like that effect of people dropping off because they just got a Slack message or an email and stuff like that. Yeah. It's uh that that's why we're trying to have a moderator plus the panelists for the thing I'm doing because it's yeah like it's really hard for the speaker to interact during um a webinar type thing. It's just I want uh, I want these virtual events to not feel like webinars, you know, because a webinar is one one person maybe a couple of people just talking at a crowd with no engagement, and it it's awkward. Webinars kind of just suck. So I'm, uh, I'm interested to talk to anybody who's organized a virtual conference and see, see what they did, how they handled it. Um, I'm happy to talk, you know, after this, just yeah. to you know, 
a couple minutes to share notes. And I'm thinking about what you said about being pre-recording and then being present when watching. Uh, and and I agree with you that I think that's that might be the solution for, for right. all this. I'm talking to nobody and I hear nothing back. Because one of the more fun things that uh, we've been doing since when we had uh, in-person conferences like last year or something, uh, like last decade or something, whenever it were in the previous era, uh, is is actually watching your talk later with other folks and commenting on it and kind of answering questions. I never actually tried that. Like, like watching right. my talks is torture and then watching with other folks is something I've never tried. And that's it makes it fun because you know people give you shit in real time and you reply and it's 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 nice I like it uh, and and what you're saying is that this might be the actually the engaging format right your talk is 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 playing in the background but you can actually uh, you know speak with people although online but still about what you said uh, clarifications asking uh, questions in real time and and then you know providing more context on some points and that might be the actually a very very nice solution to this lack of interaction and as you mentioned it's kind of your duplicate yourself there is you giving the talk but there is also you discussing what what you said in real time and i think that might be very very interesting there's another benefit to this, and this is like like not everybody has good equipment at home, right? Like we we have this, and I, I've literally acquired you know a ton of stuff just this week, like in last week, just because I know there's going to be a lot more streaming, right? So, but like a I can expense it, b this is part of my job, right? But for regular speakers, like they could have bad internet connection, they could have no good audio equipment and stuff like that. And when you get these pre-record, like talks pre-recorded, then you know that it's, it's not going to suck like completely, you know, in terms of like, Oh, can you see my video? Can you hear me? Can, you know, is my internet dropping and stuff? So this is all, this has all been fixed by, by this model because it's pre-recorded. So there is no issue with people, you know, stop, stop, hearing you or seeing you and it's also you are there with them watching as one of those so you also know how it comes across and you know what i think i think that might be that might be a very very nice solution for a lot of the problems of virtual conferences i I still hate them i still can't wait for like in-person conferences are back but for now i think that might be a very nice solution for a lot of the problems so Aaron uh, made this point on Twitter and it really likes it. It's like, you know, no one's um, intentionally going to virtual concerts, right? It's, it's like there's a difference between a live event and a like virtual event. And we can get really, really good at virtual events. We will have to, um, but it's still not going to replace, you know, the, the, the in-person type of interaction that you can get. All right. Like, come to that conference. I, I, I'm definitely going there partially just to watch and learn. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think the lineup is amazing. Um, so Sasha will be there. Kat will be there. Um, tons of other very, uh, very good speakers on very good topics. Um, there will be a fun panel during lunch uh, about salary negotiation. So um, you should join this as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's this Friday and definitely you should all come and participate. It's going to be good. Mm-hmm. 
what else? What else on our little Devrel world during during those siege times? What what else? What else is interesting or? Well, I I don't know if it's interesting to a lot of people, but um, we start, so Delps of Chicago is on my mind because it's scheduled for first and second of September, and we're still Which one? We, Chicago. So I ah, Delps Chicago, yeah, on yeah. um, part of the organizing team, and we still haven't made a decision what to do. Like we, part of us is like we're hoping that like we will be able to restart in person events. Personally, I think we probably won't be able to. Um, but you know, it's, it's an interesting one because going virtual is such a huge decision. Like canceling is relatively easy, uh, although there's financial implications to that, but going virtual is non-trivial at all. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. The, uh, the infrastructure involved in going totally virtual for like a really, really large event has to be an enormous pain. Uh, I know that Blizzard has uh, had to jump through a ton of hopes to move uh, Overwatch League to um, streaming content instead of um, in-person events with uh, the players playing on LAN. And it's uh, it's been a lot of infrastructure yeah. to support and that. I don't envy anybody who has to actually manage that transition. I also think that it's not only matter of Sorry, Sasha, go ahead. Sorry, like you all doing the swamp up, so it has to be on your mind as well. In your oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's uh, it's yeah. June, so it's it's a tough question. And I think that the question is not only like the infrastructure, the gods of infrastructure, but the real platform of how you do it. Because conference is not a webinar, it's not a meeting, it's not anything of those formats that we have tools uh, to to run. I mean, conference is, is something completely different. There are many tracks. People are supposed to be able to switch. And this is all, all the interaction part. And there is us the, us the speaker. And, and there is a registration and paid access. And there are so many questions that I... Maybe it's just me because I always hated virtual events. So I never took any interest in investigating the, um, the platforms that exist. Maybe it's all been exist, but I never encountered yet a good platform for running a virtual conference. So we did, uh, so it, it's interesting because we did the MVP summit, we did it in teams. And the biggest thing that was really hard, it was the authentication part because it, it, it's not internal only, right? It is external, but it's NDA. So you really can't have people join like what, like it's not even like they can buy a ticket and join like we had to verify everybody's identity so that was the biggest uh like thing to figure out um and so i think the team's team did an amazing job like pulling it off in two weeks notice but like obviously it wasn't perfect but somehow like somehow at least like my track that i know of like everything worked um except for like the recordings were not perfect, but like, like the conference itself, like it worked out. Um, but we did have to like limit attendees to like 250 people per session because like that, that's as much as we could do with authentication. Cause like, obviously we can do an, a webinar for as many people as you want, but we had a limit for, you know, active interactive participation on there. Mm. 250 is not bad for a session though. I know Baruch's spoken in front of larger crowds, but. I don't think I have, so. Wait for it, wait for it. DevOps is going to happen in this way or another. You you both will be there, I hope. 
and uh, yeah and the, 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 it's a it's a it's a good conference to be in so so i'm signed up to speak at the devops Peter, Peter st petersburg which is like yeah, october farther yeah. apart which is funny now because like now i think i could have done either but like obviously if they go virtual but um yeah it's it's interesting um yeah devops Chicago usually is uh you know we've done five 550 people so it's not huge but it's not tiny um, and it's on track so this is, it how, is, we get on track. Than, and it's this is how we get more than two, 250 people in one room yep so we usually the thing is like we don't like in Chicago like we don't necessarily care about like people having access to it so like we don't have to verify your identity as long as you paid yep. for a ticket and we can obviously make the t- tickets cheaper as long as it pays for the infrastructure and stuff like that because like the the whole conference is nonprofit, so we don't have to worry about like we only need to pay costs basically, but mm-hmm. it's it's like really non-trivial to to pull this off honestly. Yeah, and but 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 still, I think I think about the platform in in terms of, for example, doing the thing of pre-recording them playing and discussing it together and all this kind of stuff, which brings me back to this Friday and and to DevOps. Um, the the company behind this um, this event uh, uh, they call Tulula and um, in the, again in the previous era they did uh, um, kind of if you remember Lanyard back in the day like a, a directory of all the possible conferences in the world so they started with an alternative to Lanyard which is now dead and uh, you can still have obviously. Um, kind of newsletters with the conferences that you care about, either speaking or attending, and you can sign up for topics and what's not, which is pre- very cool. But now, obviously, when then is less of a thing now, nowadays, I think they are working on a platform for running a virtual conference. Um, I hope we will be able to see a glimpse of it on Friday, um, as I hope uh, DevOps will be run on this platform. And then we will see if that actually works. And if it does, maybe this is where we can actually find a, a working tool for for doing that. We'll actually, virtual conference that, that's uh, that we're running. Um, it's uh, all the talks, and that I can't even remember the date. Honestly, I think it's April seventeenth. I don't know. I gotta look. Uh-huh. Um, but something that Patrick Dubois started. Um, so it's coming sort of from Snake, but sort of not. And it's more of a community event. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, we're gonna donate the proceeds to on um, coronavirus response. Uh, but it kind of like we're again trying to pull it off in like a span span of a month. So again, another interesting learning is gonna be. Yeah, and uh, you know what platform will it use? How it will be done technically? We haven't actually made a decision. I think the the conversation right now was streaming on YouTube, and I basically just also pitched the idea of pre-recording the talk so we don't have to worry about it. And also, like we're doing the twenty-four hour event, so that's even harder because it's hard just to find speakers in in like APAC time zone. Like it's much easier for Europe and US, but like doing the the APAC is usually non-trivial so yeah interesting interesting so yeah we'll see we'll see how all those events work out in terms of uh, i mean the speakers we know them the content we know them everything will be will be fine i think the real biggest biggest question now is is the technical feasibility of an engagement engaging uh, online conference 
I'm still yeah, the, uh, and just yeah because it's like we have the platform to do like streaming right we we can webcast whatever but but um it's can't hard simulate to... like hanging out at the hotel bar and having like interesting more natural conversations there with a with a webinar like it's right. but I, I'm also like, that. I am super worried about for folks just mentally disconnecting because like that's what happened to me in meetings right if i if i'm in a meeting and the content is not super relevant to me i'm just gonna start multitasking and up, like after a while like that's it i'm yeah. not paying attention anymore so, i i guess those discussions room during the talks is is for that if uh, instead of you know multitasking and disconnecting and switching to your emails switch to discuss the topics with in the room and you will still be in the context of the what's what's going on and but you will be bored just staring into people you know on, no, on, you on just screen. gave me an idea because like people were talking about like game rooms at conferences like not game rooms during the breaks but game rooms that are available all the time and so maybe like we we do something like a virtual game room that's available all the time not not just like during but but sometimes people don't want to go to a certain session and it would be cool if we had some content like or some ability to interact that was happening during that time yeah, I went to a conference in um, in January, January or the first couple weeks of February. Uh, Pie Cascades. They had a game room uh, available at all times with board games and a couple of Nintendo Switches. People were playing Smash. Because yeah, sometimes there's just like nothing going on in that time slot that's interesting to you. Yeah. And it's nice to have the space to just decompress a little for 45 minutes. So yeah, that's interesting. We could have a separate zoom room set up playing like jackbox games or something those will allow interaction with like a couple hundred players you know like four to six actually playing the game but then there's a whole like voting element to jackbox games so or like esports esports yeah just play some counter-strike oh my <laughs> maybe <laughs> minecraft or something i don't know um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's interesting because like usually in real events, like like if I think about Dubs at Chicago, it's just like the hallway track, right? You go talk to sponsors yeah. or just talk to other people in the hallway. But in a virtual track, you have to have something intentionally set up for this. Yeah, that, that is a it's a hurdle for sure because I think most people really enjoy the hallway track at conferences. Yeah. Well, in well, for us Devrel, I don't know about you all, but I'm I usually notice that Devrel people don't go to most of the talks because they just like there's a level of in, like how much conferences you can take. Yeah. Uh I I don't go to nearly as many sessions as I used to, for sure. Like before I was in Devrel, I could easily spend like all day just straight in sessions even stuff that was only like vaguely interesting to me or something I knew almost nothing about but uh, now definitely I'm pickier about it because you just don't have the like emotional bandwidth I guess but it's interesting because my last event ended up being Dove's Days New York and I just went there like to do the booth which usually wouldn't be exciting but I just wanted to be at the event Um, and so I went and, and then we had enough people to do the booth that I could go to like most of the sessions that I wanted to. And I ended up going to a lot of them, like a lot more than I would typically. Um, and it just like, it was such a good event. I was so good. Like it was so 
I was happy that it was ended up being my last because like there was friends and there was good content and just like community feeling before it all shut down. <laughs> yeah, I last couple of conferences were definitely very, very weird. Uh, yeah. Yeah, how was RSA? Uh, so RSA was super, super strange. Um, next booth to us was, I think, the worst, the worst conferences sponsorship ever. It was a booth that promoted a conference in China in June. And the Fox, like security conference, and the Fox there were obviously Chinese. And over five days of RSA with 50,000 people in the expo, I don't have, they had a single visitor there. That's sad. Because what, people were just uncomfortable being around? It was like, it was all together, right? It was, first of all, obviously people from China sitting there. And that was like, what? That was already uh, end of February, I think. It was in the midst of everything in China. It was like all the... Uh, you know, all the quarantine in uh, in one and everywhere, like China, China was on lockdown by then. So that was obviously not Chinese origin people, but actually people from China, because all the booth was half Chinese, half, uh, half English, and they were promoted a conference in Beijing. So there was obviously Chinese. So no one went to their booth because of that. And also, I mean, it was clear for now that this conference is not going to happen. June in 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 China, uh, so that was like absolutely surreal, and it was huge booth. It cost like tons of money, obviously, because the uh, large booths in RSA are very expensive. And they were sitting there like five folks, and it was like Sad. it was very strange. It was it like was you really could see the crowd just going around them and around them, and no one got seen. It was like super. That's weird. so sad. Yeah, I feel really bad for them. Yeah, yeah, that was that was I my my heart got out for them because that was really like very very sad and strange sight to see. That's I was sure. supposed to go to one of the Linux Foundation events on whatever a couple of weeks ago, and that was one like that I had to cancel like one week to the next because like it had been on the travel ban for us. Um, and so and and that was also like I wonder how that went because. Like there was a lot of Asia Pacific folks like in the speaker lineup and stuff like that. And so I, I'm just, I don't know. It's pro- it was probably a very sad conference. Yeah. A conference that, uh, that I was supposed to keynote at got canceled in like, uh, the last week of February. Um, it was supposed to be in, oh man, that's depressing. It was supposed to have started today in Budapest. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they just didn't have a choice because too too many of the speakers and too many of the employees of the conference work for companies that had just started instituting travel bans. It just was not was not viable. And they, they canceled pretty early, by the way. They did. I mean, they, all the, the wave of cancellations came much later. That was one of the first that got canceled. There was they just had also in Asia, like like FOSS Asia and the Dubs of Singapore and stuff like that, that like we still like people still thought we're gonna run even into like March. Death on um, China got postponed, which is insane. Like if uh like actual DEF CON, uh like the main DEF CON is like August sixth in Vegas. 
And I don't know what's going to happen if uh, DEF CON announced that DEF CON is canceled. Because it's like, you know, it's a running joke that DEF CON is canceled. Every year, some rumor is started that DEF CON is canceled. And people who aren't in the know freak out thinking that DEF CON has actually been canceled. So it's like, it's an ongoing joke. But this year, it might actually be canceled. And I wonder if people are going to, like, believe it if it uh, actually happens. So the very hard part, like, is that some of these conferences are completely community-driven, and for those, like, they will probably actually go bankrupt. So, like, once you can't, like, especially if you already put in a deposit on the venue, like, I mean, there's only so much you can do, right? Because your sponsor is going to pull out and, you know, everything, like, you can't make money on tickets. So, like, some of these events, it, it could be very, very difficult. Yeah, I mean, DEFCON has like a several years long contract with uh, the Caesars group of hotels, but DEFCON is, I don't, I don't know if DEFCON actually has sponsors. I, I don't think it does in the traditional sense, but Black Hat does. So we'll see what happens with Black Hat, I guess. When, when, when are they? Uh, DEFCON is August, it starts August 6th or 7th. Not going to uh, happen. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'm skeptical. I think if they announce that DEF CON is canceled, unless the hotels themselves are actually closed, I think a bunch of people will still just show up. Because uh, that's, that's the other half of the running joke. DEF CON was canceled last year. We just showed up anyway. I yeah, won't. but I don't, I don't think by August... I mean, it really depends what is going to happen and no one knows. But if this social distancing and, and you know, shelter in place thing is going to stick, I don't think people will go to socialize in the hotel by then. I think we I, will have this discipline right. of actually staying at home. Well, we'll and see. I will also say, like, some of this, like, imagine a multinational events, like some of the borders are closed and, and airlines are going bankrupt and stuff like that. Like, I mean, this infrastructure can't be easily restored like even if the government goes like in two weeks like okay we're back to normal like it, it it's not going to be that easy to come back from this no it's not it's going to be a mess yeah well we'll see on the other side the, the whole idea of this of this quarantine is is flattening the curve and by the end but sometime in the future the second wave of people have to get sick Right, so now it's all the all the people of essential businesses that will get sick, and hopefully our medical system in the world will be able to kind of deal with that. But once they are all, uh, you know, got out of it, the next the next bunch of people needs to get sick, and and so so all this uh, all this quarantine will be lifted, so people get out more, get a little bit sick. Again, to the to, to the level oh. to the level of the of the health system to be able to uh, to deal with them. The whole idea is we just we're not in the end of the day. Most of us will be get sick. All right, so Baruch, chief virus advocate. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I mean, so I'm kind of on the pessimistic side of this too, and it's not because, like I'm not panicking. I just think that it would do us more good to be prepared for this to be a massive disruption rather than pretend that it will go back to normal. It, it is already a mass disruption. Yeah, so maybe, you know what, your DEFCON people that will just show up will be the next wave. Uh, I, it does, it, this virus doesn't quite work that way, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's not the same. But, you know, 
our, our normal lives are disrupted and we can't have in-person conferences, but uh, we're changing the way we do things online. And I think we're doing a pretty good job of it, of like maintaining a sense of community. It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit wobbly, but you know, we're, we're doing what we can with limited resources. And I, I think it's commendable what we've achieved as a community so far with respect to making virtual events more of a thing. They're, they're also more accessible for some people who like yep. physically cannot go to an in-person. Oh, event. that's for sure. So that's right. There is no, there is something no... that was worth looking into. Yeah. And, and so like developing this muscle is a, is a cool thing that's going to benefit us all in the, in the long run. And I'm actually also like, I agree with you. I'm impressed with how fast things are changing over. Like, you know what I mean? Like I would expect it would take us a couple of months to adapt, but no, like no, events are springing everywhere. Yeah. It's like a hard pivot on a dime. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, again, like, I don't think there's a replacement for it in person. It's just, it's going to be another option that people have now compared to what we did. Yeah. And that's a good thing. It's uh, not the best way for us to uh, discover that this is a thing we needed and uh, figure out how to do it. But it's good that it's good that it happened. Yeah, and on the optimistic note, once everything's get back to normal, we will have both. Yeah, we will have good. yeah, we will have our personal events, our in-person events that we that we love and miss back, but also the virtual thing that we built hopefully won't get away, and we will have we'll have both. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So on this optimistic note. Um, I think uh, we that's that's a good note to to end this podcast. Sasha, thank you very much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. It it was a pleasure, and like, thank you for. I I think there's lots of good things that are coming out of you know us being friends. So I'm happy to get to know you more. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We will we will definitely. I I love how this podcast is kind of a catalyzer for 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 more things to do. And uh, definitely we will, uh, we will try to keep that uh, coming as well with uh, GitHub and JFrog and, and Azure and uh, everything in between. Uh, obviously, our personal relationship is now uh, uh, elevated to, uh, to seeing you almost in person and <laughs> hopefully soon in person as well. Uh, so yeah this is also and uh, thank you very much again this is as I mentioned is already recorded live on uh, JFrog YouTube so the recording will probably now process and will be available in in a matter of minutes I'm going to upload the video to our podcast so everybody who are following our podcast with their podcast uh, viewers, listeners and and what's not will be there as well Um, uh, Twitter Sasha Absolutely. Your Twitter? Oh, my Twitter. Sure. It's DivineOps. D-I-V-I-N-E. Which I think is a genius handle. Here. It's very good. Yeah. <laughs> Cut. I actually, I was going to go for DevOps back in the day, but Devil it was ops. taken. And I am kind of happy the way it ended up. Yeah. DevOps is, is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Who is DevOps, by the way? I have no idea, but it was taken back in the day when I wanted to get it. I'm going to check on it. Which was a long time ago. Yeah, it's still... Ah, it's David Lopez. There you go. Uh, okay. Yeah, he's from Ecuador. He has two followers and he follows... Ah, he has one follower and he follows two people and he has like 
uh, one tweet. So, you know, it's interesting because like I have this handle on a lot of platforms, but I'm discovering things that like, like all the things that have something to do with streaming, I don't have this handle on and I'm like, damn, there's a dead channel on YouTube that's Divine Ops is like hasn't been posted to in four years. I'm like, come on, let me have this, <laughs> you know? Rough. Yeah, in Twitch, the username is taken on Twitch. So like, there's there's a bunch of stuff. I'm like, I'm having an identity crisis. I mean, like, what do I name myself if I can't have this one? Well, uh, if you want to come at me on Twitter, uh, yes. my Twitter handle is Dixie Three Flatline. Uh, if you know what that's a reference to, one person ever has gotten it. You can DM me with the answer, and I will send you the newest JFrog T-shirt. Which is an iron frog. Yes. Yes, which is iron frog. And I'm at J Baruch on Twitter, but also almost anywhere else. But it's not, it's it's a little bit better than uh, the Divine Ops situation. I do have it on on YouTube. But yeah, there are kind of, uh, there are a couple of places that it was taken, but the majority of it is just at J Baruch, so that's easy. Um, Again, thank you all for coming. And see you and hear you in future episodes of the DevOps Speakeasy podcast. And with that, bye-bye. Bye.